want you to imagine that you're in that mobile clinic out there. And you bounce down the road, down to maybe downtown L.A., and they park it on the street there somewhere, and you're sitting inside there, and a lady knocks on the door, or however they have it, maybe the door's open, and you walk on inside, and she walks on inside, she's got a little baby bump there, she's pregnant, she's young, she's scared, doesn't know exactly what to do, but she's going in there for some counsel, some advice, and they go take her to the back there where she can lay on the table, and they get the ultrasound out. And uh, she's young. She's never seen an ultrasound before. And they put a little goo on her belly. And they get the ultrasound machine. And then they begin to show her the baby in there. And she looks at the screen. She's able to see the little baby wiggling around in there, the heartbeat. And what do you think that does to her? That changes her perspective, doesn't it? Right? When you see that, it's like you might feel it if you're a lady that's pregnant, right? You might know something's going on in there, but to actually see it revealed, it's pretty amazing. And today we're going to look in Mark chapter 4, and Jesus is going to reveal something that is hidden. So there's something that's there, and he's going to reveal it. So let's begin with a word of prayer and ask God to enlighten our eyes to see the truth. Let's pray. Father, I pray your spirit will open spiritually blind eyes. And I pray it will illumine our eyes to see the truth within your word so we may follow you by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been going to the gospel of Mark and beginning of Mark. Mark 1.1 says that Mark wrote this book to tell us about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist, he announced... That Jesus was the king that was coming. And Jesus then, in Mark chapter 1, the end there, began to go around and preach the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Then we get to Mark chapter 3, and we find people opposing Jesus. And then we're now in Mark chapter 4. This chapter records Jesus' response to the opposition of his preaching. Remember, when Jesus preached, he preached the word of God. And he was able, because he is God, to give revelation. And he also took the Old Testament and explained God's revelation. And there were a variety of responses to the word of God. And to answer the reason for this opposition, Jesus taught a parable, or spoke a parable in Mark 4, 1 through Nine, a parable of the four soils. That's what we talked about last week. And if you remember from that parable, all four soils, all four hearts listened to God's word, which meant initially they seemed like they were hearers, but in the end of the day, they rejected God. They rejected God's word. They did not have a true heart of faith. Or I should say the first three did not. The last one was the only one that had a true heart of faith that heard the word, believed the word, and then actively followed the word, producing spiritual fruit of repentance and faith. And what distinguishes a true believer like that, that has a heart of faith from a person who is pretend, might say a fake 
believer, a false, casual believer? Well, the difference is how they respond to God's word. It's what you do with the word. All of them heard the word, but what happens after you hear the word? It's the condition of their heart. And Jesus outlines for us in Mark chapter 4, six responses to God's word by true disciples of Christ. Now, you look in your bulletin, you might think six points, Pastor Ben. We're going to be here a long time. Well, we're only going to go through three of them this week. So, and then three next week. So how does a disciple respond to God's word? First of all, a disciple listens. Got a new clicker. You like that? Everyone say amen. Amen. There we go. I was saying it the whole week long. A disciple listens with full devotion. If you read through this entire chapter, you will notice this whole chapter is about listening to God's word. In fact, look down in chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says that he, Jesus, began to teach. That's, that's, that's preaching the word of God beside the sea. And a large crowd gathered about him. So that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. In his teaching, he said to them, and verse 3 starts the parable, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. So Jesus is standing in this boat, preaching the, the, the God's word through a parable to the people. And what's the first thing Jesus says to them before he begins the parable? He says, listen. In fact, if you look down in verse number 9, What's the last thing he says to them after he tells the parable? Verse 9, and he said, he who has ears to hear or listen, let him hear or listen. So he begins the parable by saying, listen, and he ends the parable by saying, listen. You might have guessed that's actually the same root word in Greek, the word listen or hear, which means to carefully pay attention to. It's the word akuo. And so it's the same word. And what's interesting about this word is that when it's translated into Hebrew, or I should say when the Hebrew is translated into Greek, the Hebrew word is shema. Do you guys remember that? We studied that a number of weeks ago. And that was from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, which said, Shema, or hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And the idea of Shema was not just listening with your ears audibly, but actually you followed through by listening with every part of your being, like your eyes, your ears, your whole, your affections, your will, your actions, your full obedience followed God's word. So Jesus was teaching here. He's saying, listen, Shema, Akuo, listen to the words of God. And it's not just listening like you're listening now, right? You want to go beyond that. You want to actually listen with full devotion. This past week, we kind of had a fun week. This week, I spoke to a group of Korean children. And we have some of them in in our service here today. And they are exchange students over here. We have one of them who are who is living with us. And uh, so I was able to give them the gospel throughout the week. It was a lot of fun. Spoke a lot. My voice is a little bit out of uh, sync here. I don't know if you can tell. It's a little gravelly. But anyways, 
you know, I wanted them to listen to what I had to say. And sometimes it's hard because there's a language barrier a little bit, you know. Some of them speak really good English. Some of them don't as well. Um, And they're also, what, 13 hours difference over there to Korea. So jet lag, things like that. So we had some kids that were falling asleep, you know. So I had to get them, you know, wake them up. And so one thing I did is I did a little race with them. I want you to notice who's winning the race right there. And let's see here. Yep, I think I already won. You can't see it, but I'm, I'm, I'm actually already over there cheering. And that... Now, you might be thinking, well, that's all the girls. What about the boys? I braced the boys separate and beat them too. <laughs> Unfortunate, I got, this is really a lot of fun. I got this clicker now. Look at this, I can do this right here. I don't know if you can see that right there. Does anyone see that right there? That's dirt because I raced the boys and wiped out. But I still won. <laughs> still won, so that's important. I wanted them to hear God's word. I went through basically the Old Testament, the New Testament, uh, throughout the week there. And so I did some things to wake them up so they could listen. And one thing I did was one time a group of girls were falling asleep. So I went over to their table and started shaking the table. And, and one time I'm in the middle of teaching, I decided to have them get up. And I took a girl's hand and started jumping up and down. And so you're just trying to get them, you know, alive and awake. And it's not their fault. I mean, come on, they separate by it's language. I'm kind of boring anyway sometimes. And also... Uh, just by the virtue of the fact they're tired. But I actually wanted them to go beyond just hearing me and understanding my English and even understanding what I was saying about the stories and the truths of God's word. I wanted them to actually have devotion to it, right? I wanted them to hear it, listen to it, right? Understand it, comprehend it, but actually then with their heart, have a heart that wanted to follow it and believe it. I wanted them to have a heart that wants to know God. That was my prayer. God, help them to see they need you, right? Help them to have the spiritual sight. And that's what Jesus was, was talking about when he was speaking to these people. He's at the seaside and he's, he's having thousands of people are listening to his voice. And he's saying, listen, you need to listen with full devotion. And Jesus taught through parables. Jesus taught them the parable of the soils. I'm not going to go through the whole thing again, but just remember the, the parable of the four soils was about listening, right? It's about hearing. And you know, the first one was the hard heart. Remember that one? And this was the a heart that was compacted down like soil that resists the, the germination of a seed. And that's like a heart that resists God and resists God's word. Then you have the, the heart that, was, that, that heard the word but was shallow, and it just responded with emotion, with joy, but then eventually there wasn't root to that, and that spiritual life died like the, like the shallow soil. Then you have the distracted heart that actually the word of God was heard, it germinated, it came up, but the, they allowed weeds to be there and choke out the spiritual life. And that's the, that's the heart that is distracted by the love for money and the temporal life. And those things choke the spiritual life out of the word. But then to verse 20, if you look down in chapter 4, verse 20, that's the heart that we should have. That's the heart God wants us to have. Or in verse 20, it says, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word. And what do they do with it? They accept it. They bear fruit. 
30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So here are people who hear God's word, but their listening is different. They, they listen with a heart that submits to God. They listen with a, with a heart that says, God, I want to pay full attention with my life. I give you my life. I want to follow your word. And the rest of the chapter, I'm not going to read the rest of the chapter, but if you go through the rest of the chapter, look down, like, for instance, in verse 23, Jesus says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear, listen. And in verse 24, he said, pay attention to what you hear. So it's about listening. Verse 33, he ends it by saying, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. So this is all about listening to God's word. So friend, when you listen to God's word, how do you respond to the word? And if you claim to be a a disciple of Jesus Christ, the word of God, the scriptures are clear that your life, your heart, your all, your will must be completely devoted to God and to his word. Your spiritual life depends upon the word of God. You can't live a Christian life apart from God's word. And that truth goes all the way back to the beginning of time, right? Adam and Eve. God spoke his word to Adam and said in Genesis 2.16, in that perfect environment he created for them, he said, you may surely eat of every tree of this perfect garden I've made here for you, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. So he's saying, follow my words, be devoted to my words. If you don't, your body's going to turn back to dirt someday and your soul is going to be separated from God forever. So what did they do with God's words? Did they stay devoted to the word of God? No, Satan comes along and he says, he says, oh, did God actually say that you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of the tree in the garden. And so he, he gets them to question God's word. So he kind of twists God's word. And eventually he says, Satan says, it's not even true. Like, you're not going to die. Just ignore God's word. Listen to me. Listen to your own heart. Follow your heart before you follow God's word. Don't really be devoted to it. So he didn't discourage her from listening to it, right? He just wanted her not to believe it and follow it. Weak. After week, we can come here or you can go and open your Bible up at home. But the question isn't if you come here and hear God's word or if you open your Bible up and read God's word. It's what do you do with God's word? Are you devoted to it? John 8, 31, Jesus said to his to the Jews who believed in him. Pastor Roger read this passage this morning. It's interesting. These people claim to believe in Jesus at the end of this chapter. They don't believe in him. But this is what Jesus says to them. In John 8, 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. It's about what you do with the word of God. So Jesus said, Akuo, Shema, listen to the words of God. So what divides a true believer from a false hearer? It relates to how you respond to the word. And then secondly, how does a disciple respond to God's word. A disciple listens with full devotion, and then a disciple understands by means of divine illumination. Look at verse, I'm not going to read these, but look at verses two through nine. That's the parable of the four soils. 
Then if you go down to verses 13 through 20, that's Jesus' explanation of what the meaning of those of that parable is or was. And then if you look in the sandwich between that, in verses 10, 11, and 12, Jesus explained why he taught in a parable. So he taught a parable to the multitudes, he explained it to the disciples, and then he told the disciples in those three verses there why he spoke in parables. What is a parable? We find parables throughout the Old Testament, right? David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and so Nathan the prophet comes, and he tells a parable. You know, there was a rich man who had a lot of sheep, and he went to a poor man's house, had one sheep, it was his pet, he killed the pet, took it for himself, David, that's like you, right? So it was, he had a point to teach and confront David. So Jesus wasn't doing something new, but Jesus had a purpose behind what he was doing. A parable was basically a story about an earthly reality that reflects a spiritual reality. You just take something on earth and you say, it's kind of like this, like a simile or, you know, those kind of things. So Jesus told parables. Why? Well, look at verse 10 through 12. He says there, It says, when he was alone with his disciples there, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you, that is the disciples who are submissively listening to the word, to you has been given. This word given here is a passive. In other words, God is the one that's acting. It's divine passive. So God is giving something. And what is God giving? He's giving the secret, the mystery That's the idea behind this word. Mysterion is the Greek word. Mystery. The Greeks, this Greek word refers to something that was previously unknown. Right? It was there. It's real. It was previously unknown. But God has now revealed it to his people. And so like in the Old Testament, there was truths that were taught. And maybe they weren't fully explained. But now Jesus comes and he explains them. Paul speaks of this when he talks about mysteries. In Ephesians chapter 3, there's the mysteries of the, of the church. There's the mysteries of the Gentiles. This particular passage deals with that. And the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations. In other words, in the Old Testament, there was things they wrote down. There were some things they understood. Some things they didn't completely understand. But now the Holy Spirit, uh, through the apostles and the prophets, has explained it. And this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. And so there's, there's mysteries in the scriptures and Jesus particularly here is talking about the mystery of himself. The mystery or the secret Jesus revealed to his disciples was the, was the nature of his work. And one of those examples you see is when he says, kind of in a parable, like it, looking at the temple, he's saying, if you tear this thing down in three days, I can build it back up, right? And he was speaking about what? His own body, right? And so the point is, is that he was teaching his disciples And eventually they got it later on that he was talking about his resurrection. He's going to die. And three days later, he's going to rise again. So look at verse number 11 again. And he said to them, to you, it's been given the secret of the kingdom. But for those outside, everything is in parables. Well, who are the ones on the outside? Well, that's those people who are hearing the word, but they're rejecting them. Look at verse 12. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, you might read that, and if you don't read it within the context of this passage, you might be shocked. You know, Jesus withheld revelation so people couldn't be forgiven? That's terrible. Well, first, let's understand the context. Understand the context of the book and also what Jesus was saying here. I mean, we're not going to go through this, but if you wanted to, you can. 
Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus went and what did he do? He preached the gospel, repent and believe the gospel. In chapter 1, verse 39, he went throughout Galilee preaching the gospel. Jesus said, and if you look over in chapter 3, verse 28, Jesus says that, that, there's, that any sin that a man commits has the potential of being forgiven by Jesus, right? So there you go. He's presenting that to people. In chapter 4, verse 3, he commands the crowds to listen. So, so how does verse 12, chapter 4, verse 12, how does it fit with all of that? Right? Doesn't that seem to be kind of, it seems to be in opposition to each other. Well, let's look back at verse 28, chapter 3, verse 28, to understand this. Verse 28, Jesus said to those who were opposing him, to those who said, you have a demon, and that's why you're able to do these things. He says, truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of men. And whatever blasphemies they utter. I mean, that's a pretty good invitation that Jesus forgives sin right there, right? And then verse 29, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. And what did we say this meant a couple weeks ago? We were speaking, this was speaking of a person who clearly heard God's word and saw the Spirit's work, but they rejected the Holy Spirit's work. And for the scribes, they attributed Jesus' work and the work the Spirit did through him to demonic activity. And Jesus said a person like that who rejects the Holy Spirit in that way is guilty there of an eternal sin. In other words, they won't find forgiveness in Christ. They will be separated from God forever. And we said this is not for us as humans to determine who these people are, right? We shouldn't be going around trying to figure out who's committed this eternal sin, right? But clearly Jesus believed a person could come to a place where he rejected the Holy Spirit's work. And at some point, God gives him what he wants. God says, okay, you're going to reject me. Then you can have what you want. I'll leave you alone. You had your chance. So Jesus clearly taught in the book of Mark here. And Mark records that Jesus taught that he wanted people to turn and follow him. But instead of repenting, these, these scribes opposed him. And their hearts were hard and some were shallow, some were distracted. But here what you see in verse 11 and 12, Jesus is actually kind of explaining what he's talking about in chapter 3, verse 29. Right? You see how both those are connected there. In other words, this is Jesus' judgment upon them. Since they were rejecting him, God did not allow them to receive further revelation of his work. So you see what hap- what's happening here is God, Jesus is saying, I am pronouncing judgment on them for rejecting the gospel, which is why Jesus quotes Isaiah chapter six. That's what verse 12 is. It's Isaiah chapter six. And that's actually the passage where Jesus is in the temple and Isaiah is before him and he sees the Lord Jesus lifted up Holy, 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 you know, that one right there. And, and he, Isaiah, re, repents before the Lord, says, I'm unclean, I'm a man of unclean lips. And then he goes out to preach to people who have received God's revelation but have rejected God. And he says, listen, and that's when he actually quotes uh, Mark chapter uh, 4, verse 12. That's the passage right there. So it's the same judgment that Israel 700 years before Christ was pronounced upon them. So think about this. These crowds saw Jesus do amazing things. They saw a man as a paraplegic, right? His, his muscles were regenerated in front of them. They saw demon-possessed people. 
the demons were cast out. They saw people healed. But how did they respond? They were hard-hearted and they rejected him. Some were shallow-hearted and they loved the miracles, but then when things got hard, they didn't want that. Some loved this world so much that, the ch- that those cares choked out the word and they did not have the fruit of repentance. So Jesus clearly teaches here that there are, there are people, there's a group of people there that rejected his words. And so the judgment he has, he says, I'm not going to further give you understanding. It's kind of like I think about it this way. Say you have young children and you have something planned for them. You're going to do something fun. Maybe you're going to go for ice cream. I think that's fun. Or maybe you're going to go to like a fun park or an amusement park or something like that. But you don't want to tell them. You want to keep it a surprise, right? Sometimes because you don't want to hear a million questions, right? You just get your shoes on, you know, get your stuff ready. Then you have maybe a child that's sitting on the couch there and they have their little device and they're going. And, they're like, and you're like, come on, let's go. They're like, I don't want to go. I just want to sit here. And you're like, come on. I have something really fun planned for you. You know, daddy life loves you. I really have some good things. And no, I don't want to do that. And they keep on their device. And you're like, and you could come to the place where you're like, okay. You know what? That's what you want to do. We can stay here and do that. And in some sense, their punishment is you give them what they want, right? They, and they could have enjoyed something amazing. And that's kind of what you see happening here. In essence, what Jesus is doing here, he's saying, okay, you reject me, then I'm going to speak in parables, and I'm going to speak in such a way that you don't actually understand. He's going to veil the truth from them. So this is a judgment in verses 11 and 12. And if, if you're in here today and you're without Christ, this passage should scare you. Because if you're a person in here and you realize, you know, I'm a sinner and I, I feel God's, you know, drawing me and I, I kind of realize that maybe I need Christ. You need to realize that there could come a time where that convicting power of the Holy Spirit might end. And you might think, I have time, right? I have my whole life in front of me. Well, first of all, you don't know that. But you also don't know how long God will choose to convict your heart. When I was 15 years old, I grew up in a pastor's home, and I was a pretty self-righteous kid growing up. I was a pretty good, if you want to say it that way, moral kid. And I can remember when I was 13, 14, 15, that age group, I started uh, realizing how bad of a person I was, but I didn't want to admit it. I was self-righteous. I was prideful, but I wanted everyone to still think I was a pretty good person. And, and though I knew I was lost, though I know I needed Christ, though I know I needed to, to confess, like, I'm actually a bad person, I need Jesus Christ, I need to be saved, I didn't want that to be known because I was too prideful. But when I was 15 years old, I remember sitting at a camp, and I was sitting in a section like this over here in a large gymnasium, and a guy got up and gave his testimony, his name was Andrew Haney, and he gave his testimony, and as he was speaking, he was speaking about how he basically lived his life like that, and he just came to Christ that week and my heart was thumping inside my chest. And I can remember sitting on that chair and I grabbed the chair because I just really wanted to shoot up and be like, that's me too. <laughs> and I was grabbing it. And I was thinking, I-, I have all my friends here. Actually, interesting enough, my brother was my counselor, you know, so it's like, I can't admit to my brother, you know I mean? He's my oldest brother. I gotta, he's got to think I'm a good person, but I was, I was under so much conviction and that thought right there. The thought that 
the Holy Spirit might not keep convicting me. I don't want this to be the last day. It, it really literally shot me out of my chair. I stood up and I was like, I need to be saved. <laughs> and I ran back to the back and everyone goes, what? <laughs> like that. But you know, that, that idea that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, if he's working your heart, you need to respond to him. There's kind of a paradox here in this passage. The Jews didn't understand because they rejected him. But also the scripture is clear. They didn't understand because God chose to withhold their ability to understand. I mean, the rejection of Jesus actually served the purposes of God, which is kind of a paradox that it's like, how does that fit together? What does in the mind of God, but actually as part of God's plan, they would reject him. And then what would happen? They would go down to Jerusalem and they would kill him, right? In fact, if you look down in Mark chapter 4, verse 23, he says, if anyone has ears to hear, and the idea of ears there is perception. If you can perceive it, you can understand, then listen. So how does a person gain this ability to understand? Well, God must grant that person the spiritual ability by the work of the Holy Spirit to understand God's truth. In other words, a person can only understand the truth of the scriptures when God grants him that ability. God gives him spiritual life. In fact, notice this up here. This is an interesting verse up here. Roger read this this morning here, and I want to highlight this for you. Jesus said to these people who claim to believe, and at the end of the chapter, they don't, they walk away. They claim to believe, and Jesus said this, because I tell you the truth. So there Jesus is telling the truth, right? You do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? In other words, I'm sinless. If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? So there's the question right there. Why don't they really believe him? Well, verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. Not just audibly, but right, they hear it with the idea of Shema. And the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. He was pretty blunt, wasn't he? <laughs> And in verse, 40, in verse 45, Jesus says, like, you're choosing not to believe. But then verse 48, he's saying, you can't even believe. You can't even follow me because you can't even hear my words because you're not of me. In other words, God must do a spiritual awakening in the heart of a person. So the disciples, in fact, if you're still in Mark, go to Mark chapter 4. The disciples were, were told this by Jesus. Look at Mark 4, 11. Jesus said to them, to you, it has been given. Well, what does that mean? By God. God's the one who gives that ability to understand. Look at verse 25. For to the one who has, the, the idea is who has understanding, more will be given. Well, by who? That's a passive. By God. In fact, the Bible teaches this in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So what does this mean for a person who is unbelieving? Well, a lost person can't see his sin and his need for Jesus unless God gives them that understanding. God must open their spiritual eyes. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where he talks about that. In fact, one of the interesting verses in John chapter 16 verse 8, this is Jesus speaking here. He says the Holy Spirit's going to come and convict the world. The idea of the word convict actually comes from the Latin, which means to cause to see. And behind that word, the original Greek word, actually means to bring to light, to expose. The idea is the Holy Spirit will bring to light, he'll cause the person to see the truth. What's, what's the truth? I need Jesus, right? I've offended God. I've 
broken his laws. I deserve punishment and judgment. Jesus came to save me, and I need to give my life to him as my Lord and Savior. So the work of the Holy Spirit helps a person to see that. So if you're in here today, and you're without the Lord Jesus, and if God right now is convicting your heart, don't ignore it. Right? You can respond right now. Jesus, I give you my life. I trust in you. And maybe you're a person in here and you say, I'm a Christian. What does this mean for me? Well, our prayer for our friends like that, that don't have Christ, must be that God will open up their eyes, right? And so when you go to talk to a friend, be faithful. Give them the gospel. That's your responsibility. But also pray, God, please show them the truth. And I I bet some of you can think right now of people that you're praying for. And it seems like it's impossible they will ever be saved, right? I mean, in my mind right now, I have people I can think of. I'm like, I don't know how they're ever going to find the truth, right? But see, God can do impossible things. God can open up eyes that are spiritually blind through the word of God by the power of the spirit of God. And also, what does this mean for us as Christians? I think it means we must approach God's book, the Bible, as a supernatural book, right? We can't just come in here and have this be another event that we're indifferent to. Or we can't just open up God's word in the morning or in the evening when we're praying to just casually read. Like, these are the words directly from God. Like, when I'm speaking right here, you got to listen not as if Ben is speaking, but as Paul the Apostle says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, the Thessalonians listened as if God was speaking to them. I mean, do you sit there in the seat and you listen, you're like, oh, whoa, God's speaking right now, right? And you look past this flesh and you see God's word. I think it also means that before you read the word, it's a good idea to pray. And ask God to open up your eyes. God, show me the truth. Also, I think it means it's a good idea after you're done reading the word to ask God to help you apply it. Like, lead me in the way that I should obey you today. It also means, I think, that you can't superimpose your own ideas upon God's word, right? If the spirit of God is illumining your mind to what's there, then he's going to illumine your mind to what's there, right? I went out to our shed in the back of our property there one night. It was really dark, and I knew we had a light in there somewhere. So I was trying to go find it, and so I went in there, and that, we actually have shutters on there now, so it's really dark in there. So I couldn't see where I was going. You know, you, you, know you do that. You, like, hit your shin on something, and you're oh, in pain. That was me. So I'm looking for this light. I know it's around there somewhere. And finally, I found the light. And what happened? The light came on and illumined it. And I'm like, oh, that's what's in there now, right? That's what the Holy Spirit does. He shows you what's there, right? He doesn't help you take furniture and put it in the shed, right? Like there's not, you're not taking truth and putting it in the Bible. Like he's going to say, oh, what's there? And he's going to help you understand what is there. One of the, I think, great illustrations I think about this is when Peter was talking, or the disciples were uh, talking to Jesus and Jesus was talking to them and, and Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they said, oh, some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist, you know. So there was just a lot of people trying to put the truths or not truths about Jesus in the shed, you know. It's like, that, that's not true. And he says, well, who do you say? Like, what is actually the truth? What is actually in God's, you know, what is, what is actually the truth about me? And they said, and Peter said, what? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And it's interesting what Jesus said, because Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, 
but my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus says, you only know this because God has given you the ability to understand that. So, so how did he know? Like the Holy Spirit illumined his mind. And so from then on, Peter got it right, didn't he? Right? Because Jesus says to him, he says, you know, we're going to go and I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die and rise again. And Peter says, hallelujah. No. <laughs> he says, far be it from you, Lord. No, no, that's not going to happen. You know? Now, if we're in our culture, we'd say, oh, what does that mean to you, Peter? You know? And we would all say, oh, well, if that means that to you, Peter, that's fine. You know? And Jesus, if that means that to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That's, what, that's his exact words right there. Get behind me, Satan. In other words, like... Just because that you have uh, some enlightenment from the spirit to see something in there doesn't mean that you're perfect in your interpretation, <laughs> right? It could be wrong. But I also, I think, I think we also must understand we can't come to the scriptures and just say, well, this is my thoughts and therefore this is what I'm going to do. That's what Peter did. He's like, well, that's not how I think, you know? It's like, well, God did reveal that to you, Peter, that I'm the Christ, the Messiah from the Old Testament scriptures, right? That's true. But now this idea is actually satanic, right? Let's divide that up. It's either true or it's false. And so, so I think it's important for us to understand it in that way. And so we must approach God's word, understanding he's the one who illumines our mind. And the last point we have here is a disciple interprets in light of Jesus. Look at verse 21. So Jesus continues to teach parables. Verse 21, he said to them, that is the disciples, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest nor is anything secret except to come to light if anyone has ears to hear let him hear so jesus again teaches a spiritual reality by explaining an eternal or an earthly reality so what's the earthly illustration he uses here what's well, a lamp in the first century Lamps were this, these small terracotta uh, vessels, and they had like a little floating wick in it with some oil inside. And when you would take that in your home, you would put it up on a stand or maybe put it on a shelf. And, of course, you want to put it as high as possible, right, so the light can illumine the room. And he's kind of given a ridiculous illustration here. He's saying, you don't take that, and you don't put it under a basket. Should we sing the song? No, let's not do that. But you know what I'm talking about, right? And... And are you saying that you shouldn't take that and put it under a bed? And the idea of bed here is it's a cushion that people would lay on when they would eat. They would recline at a table and they'd lay on a cushion. And they'd also sleep on that at night. He's saying, you don't put that under a, a cushion. No, you, you lift it up so people can see the light. And the light can reveal what's in the room there. So what is the light there? There's a lot of people have a lot of different ideas. It's somewhat difficult because Jesus doesn't actually explain this parable. But I think the light is actually Jesus. Let me give you a couple of reasons why I think that's true. Uh, first of all, in the Greek, in front of the word lamp is the word, is a definite article, the. And actually, lamp is the subject. So he's kind of saying the lamp. So something specific is being talked about there. Also, Jesus, many times, is referred to as the light of the world, right? In John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness, speaking of Jesus. John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then notice in verse 22, the light will make manifest and explain the words of God. And in verse 21, notice the, the light uh, is brought in. And it's present tense. It's coming in. It doesn't, doesn't really make sense that a light would be coming in, right? Doesn't, aren't lights just sat there? Like, no, just sit there. 
right? It's set somewhere, but this one's actually coming in. So I think it's Jesus. That's the idea is that Jesus is the lamp. So Jesus had some hidden truths, some things that people didn't understand. He was hiding it from those who rejected him by telling parables. But his purpose coming into this world was not to hide things. It was to actually reveal the purposes of God. And the fact that God had him come to this world to seek and to save those who are lost, and particularly to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I guess I kind of wonder maybe if the disciples, after hearing his purpose and parables, maybe thought to themselves, what, is this an undercover mission? You know, <laughs> are we supposed to be secret about what we're doing? Is Jesus hiding everything? Well, the answer is no. He came to reveal God's plan. And of course, the disciples didn't even get a lot of it until after Jesus resurrected, but he explained things more particularly to the disciples and then hid it from the larger crowd that rejected him. So he's the lamp. And understanding who he is is the key to understanding the revelation of God, right? You can't understand the Old Testament if you don't understand who Jesus is. You can't understand the Gospels and the Epistles and the rest of the New Testament if you don't understand who Jesus is. In fact, Jesus said this after he resurrected. He was talking to two of his disciples. And he said, Luke twenty four forty four, These are my words that I spoke to you. Listen. While I was still with you. So he spoke and taught his disciples things. What did he teach them? That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So he taught his disciples that during those three to three and a half years there, right? And he's saying, aha, guys, guess what? I just died and resurrected now and that all had to happen. And it was talked about in the Old Testament so that things could be Fulfilled. So when you read the Old Testament and you read the New Testament, you must understand the scriptures all point to Jesus. In fact, listen to this quote by Al Mohler in a book called He Is Not Silent. He says this, every single text of scripture points to Christ from Moses to the prophets. He is the focus of every single word of the Bible. Every verse of scripture finds its fulfillment in him. And every story in the Bible ends with him. So I started thinking through. Hmm. Let's go through the Old Testament. That's kind of what I did with these kids this week. And I thought through from the very beginning. When we understand that Jesus is on every page of scripture. We realize in the very beginning, Jesus was the one who spoke the worlds into existence. Jesus was the one who walked with Adam in the garden. Jesus was the one who was promised to be the redeemer hours after they rejected God. Jesus was the I am whom Abraham rejoiced in. Jesus motivated Moses to reject the riches of Egypt. Jesus was the Passover lamb, each family killed each year. Jesus was the redeemer who brought them out of Egypt. He was the rock in the wilderness. He was the holy, holy, holy lifted up in Isaiah's temple. He was the Messiah king for whom Israel longed. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was the redemption plan from the beginning of time. Jesus is the God who believers will dwell with in eternity. And the idea here is that we must look at the scriptures and interpret the scriptures in light of Jesus. How does a true believer respond to God's word. 
that you're going to read the Bible, Lord willing, this week. Hopefully you're going to come back next week. How should you listen to it? How should you read it? Well, listen with full devotion. In a moment, we'll have a time where you can bow your head and just tell the Lord, Lord, help me to listen to your word that way. And then a disciple understands by means of divine illumination, God, Spirit of God, help me to see the truth of the scriptures. I think about Psalm 119. Open my eyes that I might see what wondrous things from your law. And then we look at the scriptures and we interpret the scriptures in light of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are convinced your scripture is breathed out by the Holy Spirit. We are convinced the words that we read this morning are your words. And God, may we not just know that intellectually. I pray for each one of us in here who claims the name of Christ. And I pray we'll feast upon your word because it gives us life. And I pray this week, as we can be just so distracted by the things of this world, as we can sometimes have that shallow heart where we, we uh, have trials and tribulations and instead of going to you, we, we go to other things. I pray that God, our hearts will be fully devoted to your word. And I pray for maybe a person sitting here listening to my voice this morning and they're under the deep conviction of the Holy Spirit and God. I'm convinced that you must work in their heart to show them they need Christ. You must give them spiritual life and I pray today they'll turn to you and they'll find the life that they can have in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.